All right, we are in John, and we are in chapter 2. And uh, just kind of to help you remember where we were, uh, John the Baptist was baptizing down on the Jordan River. And uh, we've got a little map here. You see the Sea of Galilee, and out of that runs the Jordan River. And that's where John was baptizing, down at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. Somewhere along the, the Jordan River, John is down there baptizing. And uh, Jesus comes and he says, I, I have need to be baptized. Not for repentance of sin, because he didn't sin. He did it to identify with us. Because he calls us to what? He calls all of us to be baptized, right? It, our baptism is is in recognition of what God does in us. Our death, burial, and then our resurrection coming out of the water. We come out in newness of life. And so Jesus gets baptized. He wanders up to that where the circle is, where it says Bethsaida. That's on the top side of the Sea of Galilee. And whose hometown is that? Peter? Andrew? James, John, and Philip, Nathaniel. The first six we saw last week as he called them to come. Come and see. And he calls them together. And, and so he has his first set of disciples that are traveling with him. Now you'll notice that other circle where it says Cana. That's about 12 miles away. That's their they're invited to a wedding because you'll see, if you go directly down from Canaan, you see Nazareth. That's Jesus' hometown, right? Not a very big town. Hunter talked about that when we were back in the Christmas uh, part of it. You know, Nazareth wasn't a big town. About four miles away is another little town called Cana. And so they're gonna, we're going to see a wedding there. Now, I, I kind of look at it growing up in greater metropolitan Waterloo, right? Sodaville's just over the hill. And there would be lots of times when I, because where I went to school, especially in junior high, I went to Seven Oaks, and so we had a, all of us kids that were in the outlying areas would, would ride bus together. And so our school bus went through Sodaville, to Waterloo, picked everybody up, and then went on to school. So we, so I had friends in Sotoville, two little bitty towns, but everybody knows everybody because there's not a lot of people. And the same way here, we got two small towns that are going to celebrate a wedding because everybody needs a reason to celebrate, right? So that's where we are. We're at. We're going to talk about this wedding. And then we're going to make a journey down to Jerusalem. So let's go to, to John chapter 2, and we'll read the first 11 verses, and we'll talk about this wedding. And on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. The mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? 
My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 to 30 gallons each. And Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. And the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine and did not know where it came from. But the servants who had drawn the water knew. And the head waiter called the bridegroom and he said, Every man serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, be, this beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifest his glory and his disciples believed in him. Well, we've got a wedding. And the first thing I want you to see is Jesus was invited to the wedding. He was invited to the wedding. How often do we invite Jesus into what we're doing? Have you ever thought about that? Do we invite Jesus into what we're doing in our life? Do we invite him into our job? Wouldn't that be great to invite Jesus? Hey, Jesus, we're having a, a bring your Savior to work day. Oh, wait, that's every day. When we invite Jesus into our job, when we do our job, just like Jesus was sitting next to us, do we do it a little bit differently? We should. For, for those who are in school, do we bring him to school? You know, do we share Jesus at school? I know when I got saved at 15, I wanted everybody in my high school to know about Jesus. I, I mean, I was, I was one of those guys, I carried my Bible to school. I wanted people to know what God had done in my life. And I was always, hey, we're having, we used to have this thing called uh, fifth quarter. And it was after every football game or, or uh, basketball game, we would have some, we would be at somebody's house. And so, you know, if you won, it was especially a lot of fun. But we would, all these high school kids would show up at somebody's house for fifth quarter. And a lot of these kids weren't saved. And, and of course, you know, well, wait a second, this party doesn't have any alcohol at it, right? No, it doesn't. We don't need that to have fun. You know, this doesn't have, this isn't a party where we have all the, uh, you know, dancing and, and, and rock music, and you, this is the 70s. <laughs> Wait a second, you guys sing, sing songs about, about God and how he touches your life? Oh, it's different, isn't it? Or maybe we, we invite God into our business. How many of you know who R.G. Letourneau is? Show of hands. We got a couple. R.G. Letourneau. Then we're talking back World War, World War II era. R.G. Letourneau uh, dropped out of school 
uh, it was, to him it was boring, but he had a mind for creating machinery. And so he created earth-moving machinery. And during World War II, uh, he is attributed with creating some of the machines that allowed them to, world, to win World War II because he was making some of the machinery that was able to move the, the armored vehicles forward. Came back, or after World War II was over, he was, he's responsible for creating almost all of the earth-moving machines that built I-5, that built all of our interstate system. But he kind of had a problem with marketing stuff. And so he, he went broke several times. And finally, he was bankrupt. He goes to his pastor. He says, God's calling me to, to full-time ministry. I just know it. And as his pastor talked with him, he, he, you know, he's saying, well, I'm not, a, I, I, I'm not a really good public speaker, so I wouldn't be a good pastor. Maybe I'm supposed to be a missionary. And his pastor looked at him, he says, did you know that God calls businessmen to him? God's calling you to be a Christian businessman. And that day, R.G. Letourneau made a pact with God, and he said, God is going to be my business partner. And it all went uphill from there. When he made God his business partner, him and his wife vowed, they started out with 10% of their giving from their business that would go to God, go to, go to what he was doing. But uh, not only that, he, he wanted to invest in the future. So he created Laterno University in, uh, in Texas, Christian University. And, it, and amazingly enough, it's one of its big uh, schools is the School of Engineering. Christian engineers, imagine that. And at the, he's, he's most famous for at the end of his life, he was one of the richest men in Texas. Now we're talking, there's a lot of rich people in Texas. But he was most known for this. At the end of his life, he and his wife were living on 10% of their income and giving 90% of their income to God. He invited God into his business, and God blessed it. Well, Jesus and his disciples had been invited to this wedding. And it's a little town, and these folks probably are not very wealthy, because they ran out of wine. Now, I want you to try, try to take some judgment out of this because everybody drank wine. That was what they, that's what they, their primary drink was. But as you see from the story, what, what did he say? Usually you have the really good new wine, and then you have kind of the older stuff that is, that is fermented for a while, it doesn't taste very good. You save that for later. And they ran out. Nobody runs out of wine. You have to be prepared for that. And so in our, in our narrative here, Mary comes to Jesus. 
Now, why did Mary come to Jesus? He's the eldest son. She would naturally come to him. And the likelihood is that, that Jesus' brothers were also invited to this small town. Everybody comes. But he's the eldest son. And she comes to him and says, they've run out of wine. So what is she asking? Is she asking for him to do a miracle? He hasn't done any miracles yet that we know of. There's none that are recorded. And it doesn't really, we don't know anything about his growing up. I mean, I, I'm really not sure did Jesus, uh, you know, Jesus, go clean up your room. I don't think that was happening. But she knew who he was, right? I mean, from, from conception, she knew he was the son of God. So, so, son, we need to do something for these, these people. It's, they were em, she was embarrassed for them. Have you ever been at a public gathering, you know, and somebody like trips and falls with the, holding the cake, right? <laughs> You're embarrassed for them. Mary was embarrassed. Jesus, we need to do something. Run to 7-Eleven. Get a couple boxes of wine. She's asking him to do something. And a lot of people get, uh, get upset with, with the way this reads because he said what? Woman, what is that to us? That if I call my mom woman, you know. But you have to understand, that was a normal thing in the day. He was an adult son talking to his mother. He wasn't being disrespectful. As a matter of fact, do you remember on the cross when he addressed his mother? What did he say? Woman, behold your son. He wasn't being disrespectful to her. He said two things. He said, he said what is that to us? And then he says, what else? Well, it's not my time yet. It's not my time. He said, I, we're not ready to reveal to the world what? The deity, my deity. You know that, Mom, because the angel came and told you. And my disciples that are sitting here with me know that because they've heard from me. But all the rest of these folks, they're not ready for it. And, and don't think that it was an argument. He, she just said, matter of fact, when she walks away, what does she say? Servants, just do whatever he says. Do whatever he says. Just be obedient. So there wasn't this big argument was, that was going on. It was just, we have to help these people. She was playing on his compassion. And does God have compassion for us? Oh, absolutely. She was saying, we need, to, we need, out of compassion, we need to help these people out. They're out of wine. And so, so Jesus does something very interesting. He looks over and he sees six stone pots. And you heard how big they were, right? 25 to 30 gallons. Well, these stone pots were where somebody would keep water 
for the washing of feet. So when travelers came, you'll see this over and over repeated through all four of the Gospels. When travelers were come, the common thing to do was to offer them water to wash their feet, wash their hands. And so the servants would dip, take a pitcher, they would dip water out, they would go over to a washing place, they would wash their feet, wash their hands. So there were six of them there. That's a lot of water, right? But what, what were they having? They were having a big wedding. Those wa- all of those water pots would have been emptied because every guest that came to the wedding had had their wash feet. So there's, there's all six pots are sitting there. Most of them are either totally empty or partially empty. And he says, fill them up. And I want you to notice, what did they do when he said fill them up? How big did they fill them up? To the brim. <laughs> to the brim. How often do we say, okay, God, I'm going to obey you. And we fill it up. Oh, I'm tired of walking to the well. So I'm just going to fill it up till it looks like it's pretty full. No, they obeyed him. They filled it to the brim. But what I want you to notice mostly is what did they fill up? They filled up stone, cast the whole water. Now, what would, have been, what would have been laying around? What did they already run out of? Wine. There would have been ca- wine casks that would have been sitting around. And it would have been very easy for them to take all of those. Go get all the wine bottles. Go get the casks of wine. Because they didn't do like we do with bottles with corks in it. They, they would be in big casks and they would dip out of them with a pitcher and they would pour it. But what would have happened if they would have done that? Oh, the water mixed with the wine that was left in the bottom and now we have this watered down solution. And but Jesus said, no. You're going to use the plain, old, ordinary water casks that are sitting there. Now, don't miss this, folks. Jesus uses ordinary vessels to accomplish extraordinary tasks. He uses ordinary vessels. He didn't want anybody to mistake what had happened. But he also wanted people to know, I want to use you. Because we do, we're all ordinary people. We're not the fancy stone with all, or the fancy porcelain pots that are, that are painted on. We're just regular old stone pots. And God says, I want to use you. Matter of fact, he says in 1 Corinthians 1, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, Not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame things which are strong. You see, God looks at us and he says, I just want to use you. You don't have to have a pedigree. You don't have to be special. 
You don't have to have great talent. You just have to be usable. And that's what God calls us to do. He wants us to surrender to him. To be used by him. He'll do the magic. Well, not the magic. He'll do the miracles. Let's put it that way. You know, growing up when I was a child, uh, I was born with, uh, when I was born, Dr. Doherty stuck his finger up in my mouth and he says, if I hadn't seen him born, I would tell you that this child has a perfectly repaired cleft palate. Well, part of that problem that I had growing up is I couldn't say S's. Couldn't say them. It was Buschetti. I couldn't do the S's. And, I, and when I got to grade school, they put me through uh, with uh, an auto, not an auto, a speech therapist to teach me how to say S's. Now, who would think that a kid that couldn't say S's would grow up to be a preacher? Right? You know, God uses people that are available. And he wants to use each one of us. All we have to do is say, fill me up, Lord. You fill me up, and then you do the work. You change the water into wine. And that's exactly what he did. Because what, who is Jesus? You go back to Genesis 1-1. He was there when the water was created. He was there when the water was separated from the land. He was there when he put the sun and the moon in place and he said, water, you can come this far and then you stop. He created the greatest system in the world in which the water evaporates from the ocean and goes up into the air and then it forms clouds and then it comes over the mountains and what does it do? It rains and, it's, and not only does it rain, it snows. Right? Anybody been to the mountains recently? We're at 200% of snowpack right now. Isn't that great? Because what does that do this summer? It all starts to melt and it comes down. And what does it do? It's going to water our gardens this summer. Isn't that amazing? And the God of water said, we've got enough for today. I'm going to make it into wine. And he does. He, all he does is speaks a word. It doesn't say he went and stirred his finger in there, right? It doesn't say he went over there and touched it. He just said, go dip in and take it to the head waiter. He said, let's see what happens. And they took it. And I want you to notice what the head waiter said. What did the head waiter say? You've saved the best for last. Jesus only serves the best. He doesn't, he doesn't have seconds. You can't go to the outlet store and get the leftovers when you go to Jesus. He serves the best. Remember, I don't know whether any of you remember back in the 70s, I remember I used to have a t-shirt that says, God don't make no junk. He doesn't make leftovers. He serves 
the best. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. He makes us new. Now, we can make a pretty big mess of what God does. But when we come to him, he forgives us. He makes us new. Well, we see this. And, and the aftermath is, is what it says, and his disciples believed in him. Because the only people who saw the miracle were who? The disciples and the servants. And the servants didn't correct the head waiter. <laughs> hey, this guy out here makes better wine than Mogan David. I know, some, some of you folks who drink wine, you'll catch that joke. Nobody told that. Nobody, nobody said, where did this come from? It was for his disciples, those six that he had already called. Well, let's, we're going to move on to the other half. And, and so turn to, back to John 2, and, and we're gonna, we have one little verse that's kind of a, uh, just hanging in there because it says in verse 12, And after this he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there a few days. Now I don't know why John put this in there, but he did. Just that, you know, there are times when Jesus just hung out. And that's okay. He was just hanging out with family, with his new disciples, getting to know each other, getting to know who these new guys were, letting them process. This was the first miracle they had seen. Do you think that was a little bit overwhelming for them? They were just there to process. And then we come to his journey down to the temple. Okay? Now remember, this is the very start of his ministry. So verse 13 says this. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who were selling oxen, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. And he made a scourge of cords and drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And those who were selling the doves, he said, Take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. And his disciples remembered what was written. Zeal for your house will consume me. And the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? And Jesus answered them and said, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews then said, It took 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered what he had said, that they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. And when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, well, we're going we're gonna to stop there. Verse 22. We're going to stop at verse 22, because it, and next week you'll catch up why. But 
I want you to see what's happening here. Now, most people, when you, when you see pictures of this, what does it look like? Jesus is out there just beating people, and, and, and he's mad, and, and things are getting... And I want you to look at what it actually says. It says he came, he came to Jerusalem. Now, how often did Jesus come to Jerusalem? Well, if you look back at the one time in, in Luke chapter 2 where it talks about Jesus when he's 12 years old, it says, as they came to Jerusalem, as they did each year, they come when he's 12 years old. Well, he, how old is he now? He's 30. Do you think he went to Jerusalem every year? Now, what did it say about him when he was 12? When, remember, they lost him. You know, I can't imagine. I would not want to have say, God, I lost your son. I, I wouldn't. But they lost him. They come back, and he said to them, why is it that you're looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be where? In my father's house. Can you imagine every time Jesus comes down, every year during the Passover, maybe he came several times. We don't know how often he came. But he would get to the temple and he'd just start talking about maybe Isaiah. Or maybe he would talk about something in, in, the, in the Torah. And people would gather around him and they would be spellbound. So it wasn't his first trip. But this is going to be the start of his ministry. Now, don't get this cleansing of the temple confused with the other one. There's another cleansing of the temple that's going to happen right after the triumphal entry. Just before Jesus dies, there is another temple cleansing. It's going to happen at the end of his ministry. Isn't that interesting that he starts his ministry by cleansing his father's house? And he ends his ministry by cleansing the Father's house? Not a mistake. It's not, John didn't get it in the wrong place. John got exactly where it was. It was when he was starting his ministry. He gets to the temple. Now, we need to understand in Jewish culture what's going on here. You see, Passover is the biggest festival they celebrate. So they would celebrate Passover 50 days later. They celebrate Pentecost at the end of the planting season or the end of the harvest season. They would have another celebration. There was a number of celebrations, but this is by far the biggest. And people would come from all over literally the world to celebrate. Well, we, we look at this and we say, well, well why were all these animals in the in the temple why were all these money changers there well they didn't have to be there because the reality is 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 if you look into the history of israel especially reading like josephus and some of the other people who were historians of that time they would tell you that that two weeks before passover all over israel money changers and animals would be brought into each village for people to purchase. 
the, for money to be exchanged because there was the only temple tax that you could pay was with the temple shekel. Because if you had Roman coins, whose picture is on Rome? Is on the Roman coins, right? Jesus kind of settled that when he says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Render unto God what is God's. So they would have to exchange whatever money they had into the, sh- into the temple shekel. And those would pop up all over for two weeks before the Passover. So people coming in could stop anywhere and they could exchange their money. Or people that weren't going to the temple could give their temple shekel to the rabbi. And the rabbi would pay- take it to Jerusalem. That was popping up all over. But, but the Pharisees had a little system. If you exchanged coins in the temple, guess who got a little kickback? The high priest. The high priest by the name of Ananias, who is known in, in Jewish history as being one of the most corrupt high priests ever is getting a kickback for every coin that is exchanged in the temple. And so you have these people. The other people would bring, you know, people who came from, from, that traveled with their sacrifice. Remember, they had every firstborn had to be, had to be redeemed or sacrificed. And so they would bring their lamb or their goat and they would travel all the way they would get there. And they would have they would have the priests in the temple look at the lamb and say, is it good enough? And if it had any imperfections, there would be all of these people over here, all of these sheep herders and goat herders and people selling doves and people selling oxen. And they would trade them. And of course, it's inferior, right? Anybody ever trade any used car? Right? Oh, wait a second. We've got to take $50 off for this dent. And, and, you know, the imperfect thing would be sold to the dealers. And, of course, they're charging premium prices. Because every, every all, remember, once again, we have a little kickback that's going. And so Jesus comes in and he's watching this. But he doesn't come in as most, when we think about the paintings that we would see of him cleansing the temple, it doesn't say, you know, they show him just running around and and beating people. That's not it. It says he made his own whip, his own scourge. How long does it take to do that? It said he he got some cord. Wasn't using leather. Anybody ever tat leather? Anybody ever do that? Make, make a bull whip out of, you know, it takes a while. He sits down. He's very intentional about this. He makes it out of cord. Why? He doesn't want to injure the animals. It wasn't the animals' fault. They were brought there. Jesus did not do it out of anger. He did it because the Pharisees had made things easy to worship in the temple. See, they didn't want people, oh, we don't want you to have to worry about exchanging your money out here. We don't want you, we want to be able to just make it easy believism. Have we done that in the the culture today? 
Oh, let's all, you know, let's not make it hard. When people come, we want to make it easy for them to worship in the temple. But what did Jesus say? In Matthew 16, he says, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. What? Take up his what? His cross. Is that hard? Is that easy believism? Take up his cross and follow me. Not sit in your barco lounger and follow me. Take up your cross. Jesus said it's not going to be easy in the temple. But Jesus didn't cleanse the temple out of anger. It was intentional. He sat there. He made the whip out of cord. Not leather, cord. And what did he do? He began to drive the animals out of the temple. What do, what do people who drive uh, animals use? Wagons? <laughs> they use lassos. If they use whips, anybody ever make a bull whip when you were a kid? Right? What causes animals to move from the whip? It's not beating them with it. It's the sound. So Jesus is moving them. Get out of the temple. Take your animals. Go. And of course, the money changers don't have any animals, so what does he do? They're just sitting there. He says, get your money out of here. Tips the tables over. He's not beating them. Matter of fact, what does he tell the people who are selling the doves? The doves are in cages, and he says, what? Take them, take them up, pick them up, and go. He's not kicking them over. He's not setting them free. He's saying, go. He is being very intentional because it's what? It's his father's house. It's his father's house. Ephesians tells us what? Verse 4, 26 and 27. Be angry and yet do not sin. Now when, when does anger become sin? Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil the opportunity. Right? When we hold on to sin or when we hold on to anger then it becomes sin. When we don't deal with it correctly, when we don't come back and say, oh man, I lost it, forgive me. That's when it becomes sin, and, and we know that Jesus was without sin. But I also want you to notice who wasn't there. Who didn't show up in the temple? The temple guard. They didn't come out and say, stop that. And right across the wall on the, on the outside of the temple is the Roman cohort. We're going to see them all throughout the New Testament. They, had, they were right outside the wall. Matter of fact, they even had a stairway that went down from their 
their side, they could go over the wall, they could come down the stairway from their barracks into the temple square. The Romans weren't there. He wasn't creating a big scene of rebellion. He was simply saying, this is my father's house and I'm going to clean it up. None of them were there. Matter of fact, the Jews did not challenge his actions. You notice that? They, nobody came running, stop. Look at verse 18. The Jews said to him, what sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? They didn't challenge his actions, they had challenged his authority. Because, see, they were already asking that question, right? When they came to John the Baptist, what did they ask of him? By what authority do you baptize? You're not the Messiah, you're not Elijah, you're not the prophet. And he says, I, I'm not baptizing for people to become Jews. I'm baptizing for repentance of sin. They challenge Jesus' authority. And how does he respond? He says, tear down the temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. They didn't get it. It took 46 years. You're going to rebuild it in three days? Well, Matthew tells us, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given except what? <coughs> the sign of Jonah. What's the sign of Jonah? How many days was Jonah in the belly of the great fish? Three days. And then he got spit up on dry land. Jesus tells them, and it, tells, it gives us the answer in our text. He was speaking of his body. He was looking to the future. He says, one of these days you are going to destroy this body. But in three days it will rise again. In three days I will rebuild the temple. And a matter of fact, when those, when those three days were up, the temple, what had happened at the temple? It had, the, the Holy of Holies had been revealed when Jesus died. And he says, it is finished. He took care of the temple sacrifice once for all. He said, these animals, what he was saying to them is, these animals won't be needed anymore because when I die on the cross... I'm going to be the sacrifice. Who is he? He is the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. And that's what Jesus is telling them. There's a sign. There will be a sign. You guys aren't going to get, you guys aren't going to get it. You're not going to understand when the 5,000 are fed. You're not going to understand when the blind receive their sight. You're not, going to you're not going to understand when demons are cast out. You're not even going to understand when Lazarus is raised from the dead. You're going to miss it all. But you will see the sign that you have to understand, and that's the resurrection. You see, the resurrection is what matters. That's what he was telling them. The resurrection 
is the sign you have to pay attention to because it's the resurrection that changes everything. You know, when we come to communion, when we come to communion, you know, Jesus was telling his disciples, I'm going to die, right? Remember this. Remember this, because my death, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. But he said, remember this, because what was going to happen at the resurrection? Did you remember that my body was shed for you? You remember what happens on the cross because with, there's going to be no doubt in your mind when that soldier puts his spear into my side that I am dead. It says the water and the blood came rushing out. There'll be no doubt that I'm dead. But guys, remember the resurrection's coming. The resurrection's the only thing that matters because with the resurrection, you're going to see the Son of Man lifted up. He is going to come out of the grave and you're going to know for certain, forever, that your sins have been paid for. The resurrection is what matters to you.